to the Physician's Practice Pearls Podcast. This is your host, Gabriel Parna, Managing Editor of Physician's Practice. And joining me today is Pam Minicello, the Principal Consultant at the Massachusetts eHealth Collaborative. Pam, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Gabe. Pam, last year you and I talked about your work with small practices implementing technology for MACRA and other compliance programs. And one of the things you said to me was you thought that you thought these practices would be able to survive in this new environment. We're almost done with year one of the quality payment program. And while this was a test year, so it might not be the biggest indication of how these practices have done, you know, what have you seen on the ground uh, to to either affirm or perhaps rethink your previous beliefs of how they would do in macro? That's a great question. Um, you're right. I, I don't think that we have enough data right now to tell how successful they're going to be. You know, everything was, was really kind of up in the air. And they can – it's just that test year, right? So the overall ACI portion of MIPS and MACRA – where those objectives get aligned with the meaningful use objectives that they're used to and used to following, um, really have not, that really hasn't posed a lot of, a lot of challenges. So those, those seem to be fine. Where we are seeing the challenges is what, with the quality data, right? Because they're, they're implementing the workflows to capture the quality data in a structured format so that those quality metrics, they capture their accurate performance because, you know, I mean, that's 60%, right, of the overall score will be related, will be related to quality, which is huge and, and different. So really, we've been working very steadily with our organizations to really focus on picking measures that align with their practice work as well as what works best for them in the EHR, and then developing those workflows so it's captured accurately. Most practices, I can say that we've been working with, will be reporting the the full set of, you know, they have to report the six measures. They will report the six, not just the one to avoid penalty. That's, that's good. You know, it's their first baseline. They should be, they should be okay. And they're consistently working on making that better but you know it's it's hard it's hard for them timing is everything uh this earlier this month uh cms released as you know the final rule for a year two of the quality payment program not quite the training wheels that we got last year uh, a little bit harder as they you know go with this on-ramp mentality as they've been saying uh, what do you foresee happening in year two of the program yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten all the way through the final rule as of you yet. You haven't? It's only 1,600 words. I know, I know. I've been slacking. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it, it definitely, they are, have the, our, our initial message to the folks that we are working with is, is that, like, look, this is, it's real. You know, I think everybody took this year as, oh, we don't know what they're going to do. You know, are they going to have it? it going to keep it going, so on and so forth. And and that final rule really does prove that, yeah, it, it is real. And we have to, you have to consistently work towards this and, and, and work pretty aggressively. 
One thing, you know, I've noticed about the rule, uh, speaking to that uncertainty, is just that there's a lot of uncertainty about who's eligible and who's not eligible. As you know, CMS raised the exemption floor this year, uh, and, and it seems like there's just a lot more, especially in the small to medium-sized practice realm, a lot more practices that can skip out on MIPS. I mean, what have you heard from your you know, members of the people you work with, is there a lot of confusion over that? Do I have to participate? Um, you know, what's the deal there? So I haven't received any questions yet, you know, from our from our uh, customers that we're that we're working with, because I think that they typically most of most of those folks usually wait until you know CMS will do webinars and so on and so forth. They don't take the time to go in and read the final rule. They wait for the condensed version where it's broken down into, you know, language they can understand <laughs> a little easier. But there is a lot of, there does seem to be a lot of confusion. Um, we at the Collaborative are currently working through it ourselves, trying to get our arms around it so that we're ready to explain um, just all of these exemptions to our customers and, you know, and potential other other folks that ask us so we're in the know um because it's it's still a little cloudy i mean it's it's even difficult for this year i have to say that the cms website for the quality payment program has improved but even with, to go in and see who's mips eligible who's not even for 2017 is is not always as clear as as one would think it would be by just typing in the npi you know sometimes they'll say yeah they're mips eligible but they're actually they're not. So that's but at least we that prompts the phone calls, you know, or then we can follow up with CMS and say, Can you clarify? I know that you've been working out in New York with some small to medium sized practices on C P C plus, uh another element of this environment. What has come from that? You know, talk about that experience and what you've seen, some lessons learned there. I mean, it's a great program. Um and really does, you know, does a lot of great work in setting people up for MIPS and MACRA as well because, you know, things somewhat align, the quality metrics align, and really has infused the resources, financial resources to help practices really expand that primary care comprehensiveness across, you know. So we've worked over the past year with, some small to medium-sized practices, generally about 25 physicians uh, within the group, and they have been on the CPC Plus Track 2, which is the higher-level requirement. Um, we have seen, you know, we've made great progress with, with these folks in introducing one, one of the requirements is embedded care management within the practice, so developing embedded care management profiles um, within there so that they could provide longitudinal as well as episodic care management. And we've really made great strides building relationships with their local hospitals so that, you know, that transition of care from discharge to, or I'm sorry, from admission to discharge is, is seamless really with the practice and the hospital practice is notified when the patient is admitted and care management can really start right then preparing for discharge. It's not 
they aren't notified two weeks later by the patient, oh, I was in the hospital and I need to be seen. They know, and they know that their needs, and they can do appropriate follow-up and make sure that everything is set up in the home for the patient, even sometimes before the patient even gets there. It, it's been a challenge, though, you know, it, as you can probably imagine. It's a little bit different. One of the um, – you want to help everybody, but when you start a program like that, you have to – you kind of have to narrow your targeted population. So we've really been – narrowing the target populations to their highest level of risk patients based on conditions as well as cost expenditure and doing that analysis and, and then, you know, provide, identifying that, those populations and then completing the outreach. Um, that care management process really is kind of foreign sometimes, especially in these smaller communities to patients and, and in the Medicare population, their older population, they don't really know what that means. So they don't, you know, they're like, well, that's my doctor, you know, I don't need to talk to you. But once they, you know, they can educate them, they've really, it's really taken off. Um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is also is, is the requirement that to start to provide integrated behavioral health services which is, you know, obviously needed right across the country. So that's one of the things that I think is is great, but also somewhat of a of a foreign concept in that primary care realm. Um so we've been working on really baby steps there of starting to integrate that in and working with populations with behavioral health issues, integrating behavioral health care. So having, you know, social work services or um, counselors available within, right within the practice where the provider can just refer over. You often talk to, you know, some of these small practice physicians, and I'm sure you hear this a lot. I hear it a lot. So much skepticism and, and cynicism about value and who's deciding what value means and, and right. you know, all these kind of hang-ups over the, the term value-based care. Uh, what are some of the best practices? What's some of the best advice you can offer these small practice, medium-sized practice physicians, and even the practice managers, uh, you know, to thrive in this environment, to buy into this environment, and, and really move forward, not just in macro next year, but really beyond, because obviously it's not just CMS, it's commercial payers, it's pretty much everyone headed in this. It is, it is, yeah, and and Medicaid programs as well. My my two biggest my two biggest areas that I t I tell folks that I think that will provide them the most value for the patient population are one really focus on preventative care, um, focusing on making sure that patients are are up to date on their you know demographic preventative care, getting them in for annual well visits, um, developing those processes you know even for the Medicare population. I saw a statistic that really, like, the Medicare providers across the country, I think the statistic was, was like 12, only 12 to 15 percent actually bill for the Medicare annual well visit, which is crazy. Number one, you're leaving money on the table. But two, the annual well visit is a great place to, one, do all of those preventative screenings, follow up on preventative care items for that patient population, but 
also capture the data you need for your quality metrics, right? So your fall risk screening, depression screening, things like that. Um, so really, you know, preventative care. And then for your patients, it's really population management. One, understanding your population, looking and starting to develop even cursory risk management, risk stratification guidelines, putting those patients and identifying your highest risk populations, knowing who they are and tracking them and following up on their care. Um, it's, it's amazing to me. I'm kind of, you know, you know me a little bit, but I'm a little bit of a data geek, right? And I love to take those, I can take those EHR level condition-based reports and take this CMS claims-based data, especially for CPC that they provide, and merge them together. And you can kind of put the story together very easily to see, like, these patients, you know, they're going to the ED, and they may in six months' time have gone to the ED four times. So that, and then you look at the conditions. You can you can always tell the trend just by looking at that. So managing, identifying, and then managing those people is really key. Some good advice to close it out on. Pam, I look forward to talking to you next year about year three of MACRA and all the other exciting things on the horizon. Thank you for joining us again on Physicians Practice Pearls podcast. Thank you so much for having me.